Happy Mother's Day to you moms. Happy Mother's Day. Hey, listen, I hope this day is filled with so much rest and relaxation and a ton of spoiling because you deserve it. Because being a mom is amazing, isn't it? It is also by far the hardest thing I have ever done. And on those really hard weeks, I am now going to remind myself that this week there was a mom who gave birth to non-tuplets, nine babies. Can you even imagine? So when I'm having one of those rough mom days, I'm going to think, if she can do it, I can do it. I can do it. So you can do it, mom. Happy Mother's Day to you. Have you ever felt like the world's okayest mom? You know, just okay. Maybe when you lose like you're cool with the kids or maybe the house is a wreck or when the discipline breaks down or when the doors start getting slammed by your teenagers or when you're just busy and distracted or when you just flat out mess it up. When our daughter Emma was little, she started to complain every single night when we would put her to bed. She would cry and she'd say, there's something scratching my walls. There's something walking on my ceiling. Something is scary waking me up. And we were like, okay, kid, you need to calm it down because I'm sure it's just the palm trees hitting the house. And she kept on and on and on for weeks until one day I was in her room and I was putting laundry up when I heard it scratching up and down her walls. Something was walking on her ceiling, and something had to have been really scary and keeping her up at night. And so we did a quick emergency call to pest control, and they did some crawling around in our attic to find the identity of that commotion, and it was roof rats. Y'all, roof rats. According to the pest control guy, massive roof rats that had crawled up our palm trees, jumped over to our house, and had found their way into Emma's walls and ceiling. Oh my word, can you say mom fail? <laughs> For weeks, I had not only dismissed Emma's concerns, but I had forced her to try to go to sleep with monsters in her walls because roof rats are for sure monsters, you guys, no doubt about it. World's okayest mom. Maybe you have felt like the world's okayest dad or the world's okayest friend, or the world's okayest son or, your, or a daughter. But what if we were better than okay? We've been in a series called The Comeback, Get Back to Better. We've been talking about letting go of getting back to normal and instead getting back to better. Letting go of what's just okay and embracing better than okay. And today we're going to learn some lessons from four women whose stories are in Exodus 1 and 2 in the Bible. So let me kind of set the scene for you. There was this Israelite named Joseph who was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And after a series of great highs and down-in-the-dumps lows, Joseph found himself second in power in Egypt. Through his leadership, the Egyptian people and the Israelites were able to survive a devastating famine... And the years went by, and Joseph and all of his brothers died. But their descendants had many children and grandchildren. And the Bible says they multiplied and became extremely powerful. And then Egypt had a new pharaoh ascend to power. And he didn't remember Joseph, and he didn't remember all that he had done for Egypt. 
He could only look around and see that he was greatly outnumbered by the Israelites. So instead of risk being overtaken by them, he made them the slaves of Egypt. Brutal, crushing labor, ruthless oppression, and he made their lives extremely bitter. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Now, when we get to the red words, I want you to yell them out loud. And because you have your mask on, you have to yell extra loud. Here we go. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may what? I may give you a B plus. That was pretty good. Let's try it one more time because I think you can do better. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may what? Let the girls live. How A plus, everyone. You let the girls live. Pharaoh was going to commit genocide by killing all of the baby boys, but he decided to let the girls live. Fatal mistake, Pharaoh. Because he underestimated the girls. He underestimated what a group of girls could do when they each step into the purpose that God has for them. He overlooked and undervalued the girls. He didn't know the value that each woman could bring when she plays her part in God's bigger plan. So somebody cue Beyonce, because this is a great like girl power kind of moment, because God is going to move through the girls. Have you ever felt underestimated? Have you ever felt overlooked or undervalued? Let me tell you a secret. God does not underestimate his kids. God doesn't overlook his people. God doesn't undervalue his children. You know what he does? He moves in them so that he can move through them. And God was up to something big. He was about to move in a group of women so that he could move through those same women to raise up one of the greatest leaders the Israelite nation had ever known. The man who would come against Pharaoh and lead the Israelites to freedom. Yeah, Pharaoh had met his match in a group of girls. And they were going to raise up a leader that God would use to change the trajectory of a nation. And parents, we are raising the next generation of leaders too. The leaders that God is going to use in powerful ways now and in the future. So let's see what the Bible has to teach us about having better than okay families, having a better than okay relationship, and becoming better than okay people. First, we have to have a fear of God. Fear and phobias are everywhere. They abound. Let's just look at a handful of fears that people battle. I'm going to put them on the screen so you don't think I'm making them up. Now, I wish I knew a word for the fear of pronouncing really difficult words to pronounce because I feel it right now. But that is catoptrophobia. That is the fear of mirrors. That is me every single morning when I get up and have to look at my bedhead. That's that kind of fear. It's terrifying. Then there is ataxophobia. 
That is the fear of disorder and untidiness. It's the fear of going into your teenager's bedroom because you just don't know like what's growing under the bed in there. Then there's barophobia. That is the fear of gravity. That is me as I age. Can the 40 plus people in the room give me an amen? We're all afraid of gravity at this point. Then we have aphibophobia. That is the fear of teenagers. That is my daily reality. And then there's podophobia. This is legitimately my fear. How many of you hate feet in the room? Oh, me too. I hate them. I'm sure your feet are beautiful. I'm sure they're clean. I don't want to look at them. I do not want you to touch me with them. I do not want you to post them on Instagram. Please don't do it. It's like my worst nightmare. There are a lot of things in life that we can be afraid of. And these first two women that we meet here in Exodus certainly had a reason to be fearful. So let's see what the Bible says. Maybe. Here we go. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives, what? Because they feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. So here were Shifra and Pua, two midwives whose job it was to deliver the babies of the Israelite women, identify the baby boys, and then have them thrown into the Nile River to drown. Can you even imagine that kind of command? And they had to have feared Pharaoh, the king of the land. But they feared God, the king of the universe, more. And it's a different kind of fear. It's not the kind of fear that says, I'm afraid. It's the kind of fear that says, I am in awe. We revere you, God. We have a respect for God's goodness, his holiness, and his power. And because they feared God more than they were afraid of Pharaoh, they let the boys live too. They had to choose to operate out of their faith rather than their fear. A few years ago, Judd and I were driving around and we were listening to one of Emma's playlists. And our Emma is a huge music lover. She loves music from every genre. She loves Broadway to alternative, classic rock to opera. She has rarely met a song that she didn't like. So as we pulled into the Walmart parking lot and we're getting ready to go run and grab a few things, this super loud, obnoxious, like gross song starts blaring at us. And Judd turned and looked at me with panic in his eyes, and he said, she cannot listen to music like this. She's going to start doing drugs. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what it happened? Because it seemed like a pretty big leap from one really bad song to, like, addiction. And so I said, babe, where is this coming from? And Judd said, I used to listen to crazy music. I did drugs. I don't want them to do drugs, so I don't want them to listen to crazy music. And... I obviously didn't want them to do that either, but I also knew we didn't want to parent our kids out of fear of what we didn't want for them. We wanted to parent them out of the purpose that God wanted for them in their lives. We didn't want to build our family on the foundation of fear. We wanted to build it on the foundation of faith. So we decided to take Emma's love for music and channel it 
and encourage it and champion it so that God could use it for his plans and his purpose in her life. And now she's 20. She listens to all kinds of music still, even ones we don't love. But she is majoring in music and worship at her university. And it just started because we decided we were going to parent her out of God's purpose instead of our own personal fear. And listen, there are a lot of little pharaohs of fear that pop up in our lives. Maybe the fear of the future. It may be the fear of failure, the fear of being hurt, the fear of being a disappointment, the fear of not being enough, the fear of being alone, the fear of rejection. But in our friendships, we choose faith and not fear. And in our parenting, we choose purpose and not fear. And in our relationships, we choose reverence to God and not fear. In our work, we choose worship and not fear. In our homes, we choose honor, not fear. And in our families, we choose the fear of God, not the fear of any Pharaoh. When we fear the right king in our lives, God can move in powerful ways. And that brings us to our second lesson and the third woman Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And we can learn from her that we need to trust in God. So let's jump back into Exodus 2. And here's what it says. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a what? A son. Oh, shoot. It's a bad time to have a son in Egypt. Not good. And remember, this is long before sonograms and long before gender reveals. So there is no popping of the balloon to see what color confetti comes out. There is not a cutting of a cake to see on the inside if it's pink or if it's blue. No, Jacobet had to wait for nine long months to see if she would have a girl that could live or a boy that would be destined to die. And I wonder if she begged God for a girl. Did she pray that God would spare her the heartache and the heartbreak of having and then losing a baby boy? I wonder what her feelings were the first time she held Moses. Did she have feelings of disappointment mixed with delight? Did she have terror mixed with tenderness? Did she have overwhelming fear mixed with overwhelming love? She must have wondered if God even knew what he was doing, questioned if God was even in control, and did she doubt if she could trust him? You know, sometimes life hands us things that bring up feelings of disappointment or dread. Maybe it's the breakup of a relationship and you wonder if God knows what he's doing. Or maybe it's the loss of a job and you question if God is still in control. Or maybe it's like the rejection letter you got from the college of your choice, the one you really wanted to go to, and you doubt if God is working for your good. Or maybe it's the debt that keeps piling up and up and up, and you don't even know if God can handle it anymore. Maybe it's the bad report you got from your doctor, and you're not even sure if God cares. Or maybe, like Jochebed, it's a surprise baby, and you just wonder if you can trust God's plan. 
When Judd was born, his parents were 47 and 42. And as someone now in that age range, I think about them all the time. How they must have felt having three kids in high school being this close to being done with that part of parenting, only to have this bundle of joy like burst into their lives. And my mother-in-law was the sweetest, most precious, kind woman. And when she found out she was pregnant, she refused to talk to Judd's dad for two weeks because she was like completely overwhelmed and freaked out, which I understand. I mean, who could blame her? But she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know that all of those prayers she prayed over Judd would instill a purpose in his life. She didn't know that God was going to take all of that energy that Judd had, and he had so much energy that his family had to quit eating out when he came along, that God was going to take all of that energy and funnel it into introducing people to Jesus. She didn't know that all of those times she taught him about the love of Christ, that God was going to use Judd to share those same words with people who didn't know him. She didn't know that the heartache and the heartbreak of his teen years and that drug addiction would be used to help a group of people conquer and take on their hurts, habits, and hangups in their lives. She didn't know, but she did trust God. Because she knew that God doesn't make mistakes, nor does he waste opportunities. And I don't know what struggles you have going on in your life. I don't know the things that have brought you disappointment or dread or overwhelming fear. But I do know that you can trust God too. He has not made a mistake with you. And he will not waste opportunities. And Jochebed is in that exact same place. Here's what the Bible goes on to say. She saw that he was a what? A special baby. Some translations say a beautiful baby. Now let's just stop right here for just a moment and have an honest conversation about newborns. <laughs> They're precious. They're not always the most beautiful with their cone heads. They just went through a battle to like burst into the world. But every mom believes their baby is beautiful, right? And Jacobed did too. She saw that her baby was beautiful and special. But she didn't know that God was going to use him to part the Red Sea. She didn't know that God was going to move through him to bring water from a rock. She didn't know that God would have Moses hand deliver the Ten Commandments on those stone tablets down to his people. She didn't know that God would use that baby boy who was supposed to die to deliver the Israelite people from slavery to freedom. She didn't know, but she did know he was special. She did know that he could be used by God. She knew she could trust God. So let's see what it continues on and says. It says, she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Mom's in the room. Could you have kept your baby hidden for three months? Can you imagine? I could not have kept Ethan hidden for three minutes. When he was born and the nurses like, got him in the little thing and took him out of our delivery room, on the way out, the nurse said, oh my word, this kid has a set of lungs on him. 
Like he was so loud. I could not have done it. Three months is a long time. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She was the world's first Pinterest mom. <laughs> and she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Now Jochebed, who loved her son so much, who had worked so hard to keep him hidden for three months, now faces her worst nightmare. The time where she had to let him go. And she weaves this basket and she waterproofs it to protect him as best she can. And then she has to place him into the Nile River. And the exact same waters that were supposed to be his place of death, now she prayed would be his path to life. And I can almost hear God whispering to her, it's gonna be okay, just give him to me. I know you're scared, give him to me. I know your heart broken, release him to me. And I wonder if God is looking at our kids and whispering the same thing. It's gonna be okay. Just give them to me. Whatever your struggling marriage is, just give it to me. That consuming addiction, give it to me. That fear of the future, that disappointed dream, release it to me. That weariness that you're struggling with, that exhaustion that you have, release it to me. That depression you're fighting, that loneliness that you're battling, trust it to me. We can trust it all to God. God, he knows what he's doing. He is still in control. He can handle it. We just have to trust him. So if we want to be better than okay, first, we have to fear God. Secondly, we have to trust God. And then thirdly, we have to realize that we are chosen by God. Okay, so here's Moses in his little handmade basket floating down the Nile River when the daughter of the Pharaoh decides to walk down to the river to take a bath. And suddenly she spots this basket in the reeds and she sends someone to get it. And when they brought it back to her, immediately she realizes this must be one of those Hebrew baby boys. And her heart just swells with compassion for him. And isn't it only like God to hand deliver Moses directly to the one person who could defy the Pharaoh and save his life. Incredible. The daughter of the king. Maybe she was a little rebellious and thought like, oh, I know dad wants to kill these babies, but I think I'll keep this one. <laughs> or maybe she was the kind of daughter that could put on her puppy dog eyes and get whatever she wanted from her daddy. I don't know. But God knew the exact right person to save Moses' life. And he wasn't even done yet. Miriam, Moses' sister, was kind of hiding out and keeping an eye on her baby brother. And she popped up and said, hey, I can help you out. I happen to know someone who could nurse and take care of that baby for you. And the princess thought that sounded like a great deal. So she hired Jochebed, Moses' mother, to care for him. Mom's in the room. Who wouldn't like to be paid to raise your own kid? Sign me up. And then that gets us to verse 10, and here is what it says. 
Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who what? Adopted him as her own son. She adopted him, chose him to be her son. And at that moment, Moses went from poverty to royalty. He went from slavery to freedom, and he went from death to life. And it is exactly what happens with God for us today. One of my favorite sections of scripture is found in Ephesians chapter one. And here's what Paul says. It's so, so, so good. You're gonna wanna yell loud, I think, on this part. Even before he made the world, God what? Loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Yeah. That's powerful. Because you are loved. You are chosen. You are adopted. And in that moment, you went from poverty to royalty. You went from a slave to sin to freedom in Christ, and you went from death to life. And when we embrace that we are chosen, it changes everything. I've seen it in my own family. As World War II came to an end, my granddad came home from Europe and settled in a very tiny Texas farming town. And he remembered this beautiful girl, Betty, from his hometown, and he started courting her by letter. And love letter after love letter went back and forth and back and forth. And not too long after that, my grandparents got married. And that feel-good Hallmark movie beginning quickly transformed into a lifetime movie with all of its twists and its turns. My grandmom confessed that she was pregnant with another man's baby and had been during their courtship. And afraid that he would not be able to love and care for a baby the same way he would his own biological children, my granddad suggested they place her for adoption. And my grandmother agreed, but both would carry the shame and the regret and the fear that they had for decades. They called her baby girl. And baby girl would become the family secret that was never to be talked about. It was quietly pushed to the side and certainly never to be shared with anyone else. And then on a wintry day, 46 years later, the phone rang and my grandmother lifted the avocado colored receiver off of the phone on the wall and she walked back to her kitchen with this long stretched out cord and the voice on the other end of the line said, does the date February 20th, 1946 mean anything to you? And my grandma froze because that was baby girl's birthday and she took a deep breath and said, are you her? And that began the reunion of my family. And my Aunt Sarah, my Aunt Sarah could have walked through her life feeling rejected and unwanted and unloved, but it was really quite the opposite. Growing up, the schoolyard bullies would make fun of her that she was adopted, and my Aunt Sarah would look at them and say, listen, your parents were stuck with you. My parents chose me. 
and she imagined her parents walking through a warehouse full of babies and they walked row after row after row and then they finally locked eyes with her and they chose her amongst all the kids they picked her they accepted her wanted her loved her because when you understand that you're chosen and you're adopted it can change your life completely it can transform your family Maybe you have walked through your life feeling rejected or unwanted or unloved. Maybe you've been weighed down by betrayal and hurt. Maybe your shoulders are just slumped under the weight of feeling un like unqualified and insecure. Or maybe the mistakes you've made, the hurt you've inflicted has caused you to walk with your head down. Parents. We have the joy of getting to raise the next generation of leaders. And most days we may just feel like we're pretty okay because we make mistakes and we don't always get it right. But we can love our kids into our very best. We can keep fearing God. We can keep parenting out of faith and not fear. We can keep trusting him, his plans and his purposes. And we can realize that we are enough in Christ and we are chosen by God. You may feel like the world's okayest mom, the world's okayest dad, the world's okayest friend, the world's okayest son or daughter, but you can be better than okay. You can have a fear, a reverence of God you can trust him because you are chosen. You're chosen when you feel lonely and left out. You're chosen when you feel bare and broken. You're chosen when you feel forgotten. You're chosen despite your shattered family. You're chosen despite missing out on that promotion. You're chosen despite not knowing how to move forward. You're chosen even though your future seems uncertain. You're chosen even though your life has completely turned upside down. You're chosen even though you love someone and that love isn't returned. You're chosen because God is good. You're chosen because he loves you. You're chosen because Christ redeemed you. You're chosen because he has planned it from the foundations of the world. You are chosen because Jesus is powerful. You're chosen because God created you, saw you, empowered you, and released you to accomplish his purpose and his vision. We don't have to be just okay. With the help of Jesus, we can be better than okay. And if you've never accepted Jesus into your life before, if you're ready to embrace that you are loved, chosen, and adopted by God, if you're ready to put your trust in him today, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're ready to take that step of faith in your life, you just simply have to repeat this prayer after me. You can do it out loud or you can just do it in your heart. You just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. 
and help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand up right now. Just reach out to God and say, this is just between God and you. And just say, God, I love you and I'm trusting in you right now. God, we are so thankful for those who are reaching out to you right now, God. I pray from this moment to every moment in their future ahead that they remember that they are loved by you, chosen by you, and adopted by you. Because I know that that will change their lives forever and transform their families and change the trajectory of their futures. Thank you for that, God. And for all of us today, Lord, who, God, we have the responsibility of raising a generation, Lord. I pray that you will help us to remember to fear you, to trust in you, and to every day remember that not only we, but our children are chosen by you. We love you so much, Lord. Amen. Let's give it up for those who made decisions. If that was you and you prayed that prayer, we have a free gift for you. All you have to do is go to central.family and click I've decided to follow Jesus. And then we'll be able to send you a free resource that's gonna really help you with your next steps as you learn to follow Christ. I hope all of you have an incredible rest of your day and a very happy Mother's Day. Let's bring out Nick, who will close out our services. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>